Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you're here for the first time, stepping out, we appreciate you doing that. That's kind of a hard thing to do. If you're joining us online, again, thanks for, for being with us. Um, if you follow World of Sports, we're in the time of the National Basketball Association playoffs, and we're down to about four teams, and, and teams are being eliminated. Teams that had championship aspirations are being told, you're done. You won't, your season's over. And so they go into the summer and the offseason saying, what do we need to do to fulfill our goal? We thought we had a championship team, and apparently we didn't. Well, we're not looking, God's not looking to win a championship per se, but he is looking to move his name and reputation forward through us. And there are things we can do and to be a part of God's work, to, to facilitate his God's work. His work within us. And I want to talk about one of those things today that we need to do to fulfill God's reputation. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to first or Second Samuel 19, we're going to go through, starting at verse 8 and go through the rest of the chapter, answering this question, how can we fulfill God's plans for us as a body? How can we fulfill God's plans for us as a body? If you haven't been with us, we have been spending the last number of months going through the books of First and Second Samuel. That is Israel's transition from a loose federation of states to a monarchy, uh, Israel thought they needed a king, like every other country, for security. God said, no, what you really need is me. When they insisted, he gave him a king. His name was Saul. He wasn't very good. Uh, he didn't follow God, and God said, we're moving on. Raised up another guy named David. There was quite a um, process by which God was working in David's life, and David became king. Uh, the, the nation began to prosper under him. But along the way, David kept compromising one command in particular, uh, God had said, long before Israel came in the promised land, kings are not to multiply wives. Well, David, he was the king. He kept doing it. He'd take this wife, that wife, this wife, that wife. And, and it finally caught up with them. A um, lady named Bathsheba was bathing, thought she looks good, sent for her, laid with her, and impregnated her. And the problem was her husband was off at war. So David thought, I will just call the old boy back. He'll go sleep with his wife and problem solved. But she wouldn't, he wouldn't do it because he thought, if my men are not going to be partaking, then I, I'm not. So David ended up having this man Uriah murdered. And he thought he'd pulled it off until the prophet sent by God, Nathan, came to him and said, uh, you're that man. This is what you have done. David admitted his sin, and Nathan said, you're forgiven, but you're going to deal with consequences. The baby you conceived is going to, be, uh, is going to die. Um, the sword will never depart from your house. And what we've seen, there's been rape in David's house. There's been murder. Um, and, and the one son was never disciplined. Absalom, he took the kingdom. Last week we saw, or last two weeks, he, he staged a coup. And last week in battle, Absalom died. And, and David is grieving the loss of his son. And he's restored as king. So we think it would be an easy path, but that was not necessarily the case. That's where we pick it up. Chapter 19, verse 8. I want to read just the last sentence there. Now Israel had fled each to his tent. People leave. I mean, the place is in chaos. But you think the coup's over. Absalom is dead. It should be a smooth return, but it's not. Starting in verse 9, it says, All the people were quarreling throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, In favor of David returning, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. So, so David's done some good stuff. I mean, he has been delivering us from the hand of our enemies. The, the, the borders have been expanding. And before that, even before he was king, it was really David who was defeating the Philistines. But, second part of verse 9, now he has fled from the land. 
from Absalom. He, he, he abdicated. He left. What kind of king leaves? So maybe he shouldn't be in power. But, verse 10, however, Absalom, whom we anointed over us, well, he's dead. He has died in battle. Now then, why are you being silent about bringing the king back? So there's this, this confusion, some pros and some cons, but the guy who led the coup, who was going to be the king, he's dead. So that, I guess David's now in line to be the king. So, so, so why are you so slow? And, and what's interesting here is the south of Israel, which was where David's from and where he initially launched his move to be king, they're not sure. They want him back. The north, which in the initial civil war was against David, where Ishbosheth, Saul's son, uh, which was against David, is now for him. Manaim is where is David's power base. So it's conflicted. Who you think would be supporting is not, and, and there's confusion. So into that, verse 11, uh, David starts politicking. Then King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. These people have credibility saying, speak to the elders of Judah. Now, these are the people that should be supporting me but aren't, saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to Israel? Since the word about Israel has come to the king, even to his house. You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? Why are you guys so I, I'm family, remember? It's where I started, and, and now you're, you're hesitating. So Abiathar and Zadok, you guys are priests. You have some clout. See what you can do. Well, David continues politicking, verse 13. Say to Amasa. Now, Amasa was the general of the rebel army in the coup. Okay? He was opposition. Say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? May God do so to me and more also if you, do not, if you will not be the commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. So David's going to make a political move. He's going to replace Joab with Amasa. Amasa led the opposing forces, but he's from the family of Judah. So David's politicking. We see that sometimes in, in uh, convention. Certain candidate gets nominated for the president, and they balance their ticket, don't they, with a vice president that's from a different part of the state, a different part of the country, or a different perspective. David's politicking here. I, I'm trying to appease the north, so I'm going to get the former leader of the army, but he'll still be good for him because he's from Judah. He's, so maybe we could play both here. So David is trying to keep his base intact while reaching out to those who aren't sure, with, but he doesn't want to alienate. So that's where he is, verse 14 and 15. Thus he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man so that they sent word to the king saying, return you and all your servants. So he, he's won over Judah. The king then returned and came as far as the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal in order to go to meet the king to bring the king across the Jordan. So he's going to cross the Jordan River, and they're going to go into Jerusalem, and it's all going to be good. Before that happens, David has three interactions, and I would say a certain part of his character shines through. Start First interaction is verse 16. Then Shimei, the son of Jirah, the Benjamite who came from Buriam, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, with Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they rushed to the Jordan before the king. Then they kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and to do what was good in his sight. And Shimei, the son of Jirah, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. 
Shimei is from the house of Saul. When David got run out by Absalom, we won't turn there, 2 Samuel 16, verse 5, he's running along, cursing David, throwing stones at him. Abishai, who was one of the commanders of David's army, said, hey, I could go take his head off. I could cut his head off, and then he would stop. David said, no, no, we're not doing that. Maybe God called me to that. So now Shimei realizes, whoops, 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 whoops. I backed the wrong horse here. David is going to be the king, and, and I could be busted on sedition. So he comes, and he throws himself at David's feet. And he brings a 1,000 men to say, I've got support with you, with me. Verse 19, so he said to the king, let not my Lord consider me guilty, nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my Lord the king came out of, from Jerusalem, so the king would take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned, therefore behold, I've come today, the first of all the house of Joseph. So he's saying, really, I'm the first of all the northern tribes to go down to meet my Lord the king. I'm recognizing you as king, and I'm asking that you forget what I did. I'm, I'm appealing to your mercy. Well, before David renders a decision, Abishai, remember Abishai is one of the three leaders of the Israeli army, and before he wanted to cut Shimei's head off, well, he speaks again, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said, should not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointing. We, we, could, we could solve this. Verse 22 and 23, David then said, what have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? No, I'm not going to play your game of violence. Should any man be put to death in Israel today? It's a rhetorical question, no. For I do not, do I not know that I'm king over Israel today? I, I've been restored. For that reason, verse 23, the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. Thus the king swore to him. Look, David's got it right. This guy turned on him. And by all means, it's kind of like you. You're guilty of sedition. David said, we're not going there. I've been restored as king. David has a commitment to reconciliation. I'm going to let a past thing go. It's the first interaction. Second interaction starts um, next verse. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So Mephibosheth was the son of David's friend Jonathan, but he was out of the house of Saul. So normally when a king takes over, he gets rid of all the other family, executes him. But Mephibosheth, he showed great mercy. He said, you'll be a part of my house, you'll even eat at my table. But when David got run out of Jerusalem, Mephibosheth stayed. That looks bad. And David wants to know, why didn't you go? After all the goodness I showed to you, why didn't you go with me? Verse 26, so he, Mephibosheth, answered, O my Lord, the king, my servant, deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Remember, Mephibosheth is lame. And he said, I was counting on a servant, and that servant deceived me. Moreover, that, that verse 27, that servant slandered him. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. My lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? Look, my father's household was, was all 
executed, but you, you spared my life. And so I'm appealing to your goodness one more time. That's all I got. Well, verses 29 and 30, David decides, tell you what, I'm going to let you live. I'm going to split the estate between you and your servant Ziba. Again, a commitment to reconciliation. I'm not going to execute judgment when I would be within my right. Second. Third interaction starts in verse 31. Brazilii the Gileadite was someone who supported David. In verse 31 to 33, he... uh, Provided resources, probably food, for David's army and families when they were on the run. Therefore, uh, verse, David wants to take him with, it, with him into Jerusalem. Verse 34 to 36, Brazilia, I said, look, I'm old. I would just hold you up. Um, verse 37, let me read. He continues his, his answer to David. He says, please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. However, there's... Here is your servant Chinnam, Chimam, probably his son. Let him cross over with the Lord the king and do what is good in your sight. Look, I, I don't want to go. I'm going to die. I'm going to hold you up. And really, I'd rather die in my home city than crossing the Jordan and going over there, and then they've got to cart me back when I die. Just, can, I just, can I just stay here, and I'll, and I'll send my son in, in my stead. Uh, verses 38 and 39, the king answered, Chimam shall cross with me, and I will do for him what is good in your sight, and whatever you require of me, I will do for you. All the people crossed over the Jordan, and the king crossed too. The king then kissed Brazilii and blessed him, and he returned to his place. You know what I see in these three interactions? David has a radical commitment to reconciliation. At least in the first two. He had a right, Terman quotes, to hold a grudge. He had a right to exact revenge, but he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. He's going to let that go. We well, say, well, that's par for the course in Israel at the time, isn't it? Nah, let's see. Verse 40. Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimam went on with him, and all the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel accompanied the king. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why had our brother, brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought you the king and his household and all David's men with him over the Jordan? Oh, David, we backed you, and now you're, you're, seems like you're tying in with the, the people of Judah. That, that doesn't seem fair. You, you belong to us. Well, the men of Judah hear that. The people of Judah hear that, and here's how they respond. In verse 20, then all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative to us, why then are you angry about this man? Of course, he, of course he'd be loyal to us. He, he's part of our family. Have we? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has anything been taken for us? We, we haven't taken advantage of it. But of course he'd, he'd be loyal to us. We're, we're family. Well, the men of Israel. Verse 43, answer. But the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts with the king. Therefore, we also have more claim on David than you. That means we got more population. Why then do you treat us with contempt? Was it not our advice first to bring back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. Would you be surprised if I were to tell you when David died and his his son Solomon took over, the country had a civil war? They split? This is not a people who are reconciling. It's a people who are dividing. Yet in the midst of that, 
David's servant, David, God's servant, is saying, I'm radically committed to reconciliation. See, we started by asking this question. How can we fulfill God's plan for us? It's about here I'd say. What we see from David. A radical commitment to reconciliation will enable us to fulfill God's plan for our body. Let me read that again. A radical commitment to reconciliation will enable us to fulfill God's plan for our body. Every Sunday we sit up here and we pray about and talk about being Christ in our community, enhancing God's name, enhancing God's reputation. I need to ask, how serious are we about that? Is that lip service or or are we serious about that? Oh, pastor, we're serious. We're good. Then if that's true, we're going to have to be people that are radical about reconciling with people in the body. Why? Because we have received reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Now all these things are from God, who what? Reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of? But if, if we got this ministry and we can't reconcile about it among ourselves, how are we doing? Next verse. Namely that God was in Christ, what? Reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Are we serious? Are we serious about moving Jesus and the gospel forward? If we are, we get better get serious about reconciliation. Let me speak to three areas. I think we need to think about reconciliation. First is the personal area, personal affront. You know, he talked to you, or she didn't, or he said this, or she didn't say that, and, and we get hurt, and it's kind of like, okay, you're, you're out, you didn't, because you did, or you didn't do, or you this, and you that. I was down in Arizona, smaller church, right off the bat, I met a man, met a man named Jack Unglesby, he's a World War II vet, old enough to be my dad. Uh, he was on the first wave of D-Day, his commanding officer freaked out, and uh, he was in charge. Fellas, here we go. After the, uh, World War II, he got out, got in the Air Force, he came up to E-9. If you've been in the military, that's as high as you can go as an enlisted person. He uh, told me, when he met me, he said, in the Army, chaplains were always officers, so I'm going to see you as an officer, I'm going to call you sir. So he never used Andy with me one time. He always called me sir. Um, on top of that, he was great to my kid. Our oldest son was about three or four when we were down there. And, man, he would come out of children's church, and Chris is on a mission to find Mr. Jack because Mr. Jack has candy for him. <laughs> we wanted to regulate our kids' sugar intake, not on Sunday. I mean, Jack's just feeding them, and Chris is putting it away. So I thought we were good. He comes to my office one day. He says, sir, have, have I done something wrong? Are you mad at me? Why, why would you think that? Well, you're not shaking my hand. Oh, on Sunday, you're not shaking my hand. Well, Jack, you know, when you get there, I get there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and you guys are there, I shake your hand there. And then we do Sunday school, and then the service, and there was only one way out, and I'm shaking everybody's hands there. But he said, how about between Sunday school and the service, when you come out? Oh, Jack, man, I I mean, I've got about eight minutes after I finish praying with the elders, and I'm really trying to find a newer person if if I can. So I, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. We get offended. 
of personal stuff. And, and see, we're about, supposed to be about the business of reconciliation, but we hold on to these things. And if, if we're serious about the God, if we're serious about being Christ in our community, we got to let that stuff go. We've got to give people the benefit of that. We've got to say, we have been reconciled to God, so I'm going to stay reconciled to you, and you're going to stay reconciled to me. Second area. I want us to think about this. It's in the area of politics. You know, I read that people anymore are picking their church on the politics over theology. Now, I disagree with that uh, value system because I don't think we have a political solution for our city, nation, and country, and world. I think we have a Jesus solution. So what that means is you may be sitting next to somebody who has a different political perspective than you do. That's got to be okay. We're not going to divide over politics. Over the years, I've come to the conclusion that godly people, people who hold the deed of Jesus, Jesus, the authority of Scripture, and the exclusivity of Jesus in salvation can come to very different conclusions on political issues. Seminary had a prof who said, you know, based on our past experiences and our present circumstances, we read our biases and desires and experiences in and out of the Scripture. And so we decide this is what God wants, and then somebody with a different decide that's what God wants. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Uh, all my life as a Christian, when, when I looked at the Exodus, um, God delivering Israel from Egypt with a series of plagues. I always thought, oh, God is showing himself strong over the gods of Egypt. And, and when I would pray that, and I was in campus ministry, which is challenging the deity of Jesus, oh, God, would you show yourself strong like you did in Exodus? Because that's what that passage is about, don't you know? Then I go to Chile, and we're in Chile from 97 to 99, and uh, if you didn't know, Chile went through a military coup in 1973 to 1978, and then it was this transition. And uh, we get to know some students. Uh, in fact, our best English speaker, his name was, was Boston, and he grew up in Boston for 10 years. Do you know why? His family had to flee because of the coup. Uh, we had students talk. They remember their, their parents burning books and, and moving uh, bookcases in front of windows because they did the shooting, don't you know? And this is just the college students, and the adults had a much more vivid. Do you know how they looked at the Exodus passage, what they saw? You know what they prayed? The God who delivered from an oppressive ruler. We believe the same Jesus, believe the same statement of faith. But see, our experience and our circumstances told us something different. So what, if we were to look at that passage, what we would conclude about what is necessary to God leader? Well, it would depend, wouldn't it, on our circumstances. One would say, well, he holds up Jesus. The other would say, well, he delivers from oppression. Here's my hope. I hope North Point can be a place where there's a variety of political perspectives. That means you're going to have to reconcile. You're going to have to agree to disagree with the person who's got a different political perspective from you. One more thing, and I'll leave this alone. Wherever you are on the political perspective spectrum, Jesus ought to be challenging 
Jesus, that would be unsettling your politics. We all got that in common. Our politics are being challenged by Jesus. And we're going to see people that are different with us, but that ain't breaking us because we're committed to reconciliation. Third one, personal loyalties, brands. Sometimes we take this so seriously, we divide among ourselves. Let me start with sports teams. 1991, 92, I'm at a Christmas conference in Denver. The big team there was the Broncos. They're in a playoff game with the Houston Oilers. Back in the 1970s, we moved to Houston, and I kind of liked the Oilers a little bit. They had Bum Phillips and Earl Campbell, and, but I was 15 years removed, and, and my interest in the, Bron uh, the Oilers was, was minimal. But somehow I got going in this game. And we're at this Christian conference, and that night, Bill Bright, the founder of the organization, come in, he's going to talk about going to the world. And, 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 but we got so intense in that game, it starts going. At halftime, one of the students said, hey, anybody who's not for the Broncos at half can leave. Well, that was an invitation for me to leave. Are you serious? We're at this Christian conference, and we got so tied up in our stupid, I did, stupid football team that I didn't even care about that much that caused division? And we're supposed to be about what? Reconciliation? Are we serious about moving the gospel? Are we serious about moving the gospel forward? Oh, yeah, pastor. Okay, then we're going to have to get serious about reconciliation. We're going to have to get radical about reconciliation. David modeled it for us, but it's not a standalone thing. It's Jesus who reconciled us to God. We've experienced that reconciliation. We extend it to other people. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Did you guys ever have a bad week with your car? Anybody ever had one of those bad weeks? Okay, so it's Tuesday. I'm parked right out here, and I drive right down here, and my car breaks down, and, and I'm flustered. I don't want to do it. And somebody caught it on picture. Here's, here's what happens. There I am. <laughs> I don't know how to fix my car. I'm flummoxed. But the good news is I'm not far from the building, right? And we just need to push it maybe a few feet to the east or a few feet to the west, and, and we'll be good. So I think, I will go get my friends, and they will help me push it. Now, there's seven of us. You only see six in the picture. Mandy was out of town. She was going to a Taylor Swift concert, trying to catch a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> so I get my six friends, and I say, hey, this is the problem. And you guys, usually we get along fine. But look what happened. It didn't, it, I mean, people are upset. <laughs> Which way? does the car go? And, 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 you know, all the yelling and shouting, we couldn't work it out, and this is where we ended up. This is really bad. There we are. <laughs> How far do you think the car moved in that situation? Okay. Everything I just told you was a lie, all right? <laughs> the car didn't break down. Mandy didn't go to a Taylor Swift concert. We didn't argue, and we weren't pushing it again. So, so what's your point here, Pastor? I want to leave this image in your mind. Because I want you to take the car out of that, if you will, and put in the glory of God. Put in the gospel. Put in the name and the reputation of Jesus. Listen, 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 listen. If we're not reconciling, if we're pushing against one another, the gospel isn't going forward. 
oh, pastor, it's a Jesus solution. Well, is it? For our, if it is, then you and I better get really, really serious about reconciling. And whatever it is, we're going to agree to disagree. We're going to see that. We're going to accept forgiveness. Whatever it is, we're going to put that aside because there's something that's much more important. The gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. Would we be people that are radical in our commitment to reconciliation? Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for um, this challenge. David, in, in a culture that was separated, but was bickering and was fighting, you, your servant, showed himself above it. Willing to let hurts and stuff, bygones, be gone? Why? So the name of Jesus, the, the ministry of reconciliation can go forward. Oh, Lord Jesus, that we would be people that are radical about not our team, not ourselves, not our political position. We're radical about you. So we're radical about reconciliation. Pray that in Christ's name. Amen.